Welcome to our podcast, Leadership Theater Unplugged. We are Alexander Meyer and Diana Bista. And together with our guests, we want to inspire and encourage you to rewrite your piece of leadership play. Listen to vulnerable and bloody honest stories of hard-winning and outstanding leaders. Learn about practical and powerful tools, tricks and hacks. In this episode, you will learn that a directive and radically goal-oriented style of leadership is set up for failure. And if you still think that you need to be a subject matter expert to be a good leader, Duncan will prove you wrong. Leading a team he has known nothing about has been the most successful time in his leadership career. Duncan Barris from Cardiff is a logistics specialist with many years of experience in the manufacturing industry, producing steel, metal products and packages. His early leadership style has been characterized by the way he has experienced leadership himself, hierarchical, directive and radically goal-oriented and results-driven. This changed in 2014 when he was part of an agile transformation himself. This made him rethink his own leadership style and gave him the opportunity to mature into a coaching, enabling and people-oriented leader. Welcome everybody to a new episode of Leadership Theatre Unplugged. Today here is Alexander and with my wonderful co-moderator Diana and our new guest Duncan. And we are really excited to having Duncan here today because um, there's a special relationship between uh, Duncan and me. And before we talk about this a little bit, um, a little bit of history about Duncan and why we are so excited having him here today. Duncan um, is from, from his background, is a, has a Bachelor of Art um, a while ago and with a specialty in logistics. And his whole life, he basically worked um, into a real manufacturing um, industry. So really producing most of the time steel, but later on as well packaging. So coming really from a manufacturing background. And um, I think that is very interesting because there's a lot of conversation out there. Oh, can we do, um, you know, this different style of leadership? Can we do agile? Can we do all these methodologies? And can we do this in a manufacturing environment as well? And where are the limitations and where are the boundaries? So this is, this is definitely one part. And also, which is interesting is Duncan went through all this, the different um, parts of a transformation. He was part of a transformation himself, being part of a team. And experiencing it as a team member, but also um, he went through a personal journey of transformation, going through, okay, how do I lead today? And then through maybe personal struggles on his journey to oh, what is my leadership style of tomorrow? And what are the, the hardships of it? What are the emotional struggles and all that's parts connected to it? And, you know, now you know both sides. Probably you can contrast it quite nicely now. So, so what, what was it in the past and, and how have you felt personally at that time when, we, when you started in the steel industry? As a, I think you were a logistics planner at that time, actually. That's right. That's right. So, um, no, it's very interesting. When I, when, I, when I started working in the steel industry, it was back in 2005 now, but um, very, very different approach to what I, I started to sort of develop myself. But at that time, it was all about hierarchy um, and it was about respecting that hierarchical approach and it was very directive. So that's what I understood was normal, I suppose, at that time for me. Um, so I had to respect my, my, my boss, as it was, and they would be very directive about what they would, what they would want. Um, and that, that's, that's the style at which I, I learned very early on in my career. I thought, well, this must be the way that things are done, right? So um, you have a boss, and they have one, and then basically... They get orders and, and direction from, from their boss, and they, they give you that direction in, in a very directive style to you. The way that makes you feel, though, is it makes it very limiting about what you can do yourself. So you might have some, some, some ideas. You might have um, some sort of th you know, different ways of, of, of approaching a problem or even approaching the way you want to, to work in, in your day-to-day -day environment. But it's very restricted about, well, no, this is, my, this is my box. My boss is saying this is what you have to do. And this is how you go. And also, this is how you're going to do it, because that, that was the style very much in the steel industry. You do it this way. This is what I want you to deliver. That's that's your job. Um, so very early on, that was that was that was the uh, the style of which I was sort of, you know, learning, if you like, in, in my early part of my career. 
And that's actually very interesting because in the same company, you, you became a logistic leader as well. You were leading this, the department later, right? So you, 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 you did the step upwards and say, okay, from a team member to a, to a leader. Yeah. And how was it changing? How was it for you changing the role? Like, you know, from a, from a team member, then being the leader, had you had a chance or an idea even to, to change anything? Or we just say, okay, this is how it should be. And this is how I do it now. How was, how was that one then? Very difficult, right? Because I was only 20, how old was I there? 27, 26, 27 years old uh, when I was going into my first leadership role. So very, very young in terms of early on in my career. And bearing in mind the context and the environment of which I described, so the directive nature of, of, of the style of leadership in the steel industry at that time. Yeah, so for me, I thought, well, I need to, I need to copy this behavior that I'm learning because I don't understand, you know, being at that age, you know, what, how do I approach this? So I, I copied the behavior of which I was learning around me. And so I started to feel like I needed to give direction and a directive approach to the people that I was starting to lead, which is what I did. Well, I realized quite quickly that I had to then take more responsibility for what was going on. So I still had direction from my boss, even though I'd become a, a sort of junior leader at that point, I had results to deliver. So very, very results orientated business as well that I was, that I was part of. And it's like, right, you must deliver this. And the, the way I which I was trying to deliver that was I was being directed with my with my with my team saying, right, you need to do this part and I will do the rest. That being a very, very important statement. I will do the rest. So I ended up having to do a lot of different tasks myself that my team weren't doing because I hadn't told them to do it. So you end up really, really overloading yourself in that style, I find, very quickly. And it really, really was hard work for me in the beginning. I thought this, this is just becoming impossible, you know, but you do it. So you do it. I had lots of energy at that age at 26, 27. You, you work longer hours to compensate for that style. Yeah. And so that, that was the beginning. It was, it was very, very tough. I worked long hours. I gave a lot of direction to the team and, and, and sort of very, very, this is what you must do and this is what you must deliver. And then I would pick up the rest um, as, as the young leader. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. Basically, that's what I learned. That's how I learned how to be a leader in the, in the, in the early days. So you said, OK, here's a part which is for my team. And I tell them what to do and how to do it. Yeah. And here's a part I keep for myself because maybe I believe my team is not able to do that or they don't have time to do it. So I do it myself. Yeah. And instead of and instead of thinking, what can I do differently? You learn to I do I work harder. I work longer and I push yes. myself more. Right. This is this is what. You, yeah. What you learned. Okay. Because in, in, in the end, I was still, exactly, in the end, I was still given, you know, a remit. I had to deliver a certain set of results, whatever that may be, spend results or delivery results in logistics or whatever it may be. You st I still had to deliver as a leader a set of results that my boss was ex expa explaining that I must do. But of course, the style at which I'd learnt and I thought was the correct way of doing it as a leader was, I tell my team what I think they are able to do and give them a very, very direct nature of how they must do it. But then, of course, I will compensate for the rest and I will do it myself. But the only way you can do that is you end up having to work longer and you have to work harder. That's the only way you can do it like that. And it becomes really, really difficult very quickly. And, and Duncan, would you say that leadership skills, have they even played a role in being chosen as a team lead? Because this sounds to me like... Uh, you still have to to do an operational job and there are lots yeah. of tasks that needs to be fulfilled, tough goals. So why, why were you chosen to be the team leader of that team? It's very interesting, right? Because it, it's, it's a good question that you ask there because, you know, this happened in other areas that I've worked in since. But normally you get the opportunity to become a leader for the first time because of what you've delivered in the role that you do initially right so it's very it's very interesting it's like right you become really successful and it seems like you really know what you're doing as a logistics planner for example okay you seem to have a little bit um, of an interesting character so I'm going to give you the opportunity to be a leader but is there any thought about whether I could be a good leader no probably the thought initially was I was very good at delivering some results in logistics great so now you can deliver some more results in logistics that's that was the thought behind it rather than is this guy a really really you know talented leader not really don't have no evidence of that it's just I was very good at delivering results in logistics so it's like okay great deliver some more here's some more remit to deliver some more results and i think that's quite common yeah so so instead of saying it doesn't matter actually how you deliver the results if you work your ass off or if you work through with your team or if your team delivering results or 
it doesn't matter as long as the results are there. Okay, thank you very much for the results. But what happens in the background, how these results are created are not relevant for what I hear from you. It wasn't absolutely, especially especially in that sort of you know heavy manufacturing background. It was very much about are we delivering the results? Was there any thought about how we delivered them? Definitely not. It was just a case of as long as you could consistently deliver those results, that's what mattered. And because I started to deliver some good results, I was given more to do, basically. But the, the, the way in which I approached that was just keep on delivering those results. That was that was very much the, uh, the, the, the backdrop to that, especially in my early part of my leadership career. So, so how was it with your team? Because, well, actually, you didn't learn a, a certain leadership style. You just learned from from all the other people around you and yeah. um you said you were the the one who delivered great results that's why you were chosen and now you have to lead a team uh, where there are probably people who are also very great in doing their job delivering results but maybe well, <laughs> obviously not everyone is a superstar so probably there were also people who, who struggled delivering great results or were just not capable of delivering that much or, or whatsoever so how was that for you yeah so yes you're right as in all leadership jobs you always get um, a mix of people and you're right there were some people that you know were not always able to to deliver the things that um, that were required but instead of um, you know addressing those issues with the people that were struggling I compensated for it right so instead of you know addressing um, the issues that were, that were popping up because I was desperate to get the results I would just do it myself right so a bit like Alex just described that it's very much like that it's very much like right I know what he's capable of I know what she's capable of so therefore I can give this part to, for them to deliver And that will work because I know they can do it and if it hasn't worked previously I won't give it to them again right so it's like that And then I will do the piece that they can't do just to make sure the result is driven, which sounds bonkers, but that was basically the way and the, and the style of which I adapted early on. Yeah, so basically, if they couldn't do it, I would do it. It just made me very tired all the time. And, you know, I was working longer hours. And yeah, it starts to impact on your home life as well, of course. So, you know, my wife started noticing that I was working ridiculous amounts of hours and, and in a directive environment that just wants to do about deliver results and not concentration on the actual leading of the team had you had any point you know at that time before we come to in a minute to to the next step when we uh when you manufacturing company where we met yeah. is have you never questioned actually what's going on here can that be right or was it automatically like no this is how the world is how this is how life is and, and you just need to accept it was it was it doubt was it kind yeah. of there was 100 you're right there was 100 doubt there because I remember it got to, so I, I, this was in 2000 and I think it was 2008 where I started, you know, as a, as a young leader. And then I remember in 2010, so I'd been doing that, kept it up for two years. Then I, I look back and think how I did that, but I did. I kept it up for two years. And I, I remember getting to 2000 and saying, you know what, I've had enough of this. This, this is me speaking at home now to my wife, to Siobhan. I'm saying, Do you know what, this, this is bonkers. You know, I've kept this up for two years, I'm worn out. You know, this is, okay, I'm trying to prove myself. I also saw it like that, right? I also saw that I was trying to prove myself because I was only 20, whatever it was, 26, 27 at the time. So I thought I had to keep doing this because I'm trying to prove myself because I'm trying to develop my career, right? So I thought, no, I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep doing this. I've got to prove that I'm able to cope with this pressure and cope with delivering these results in this way. But yeah, it got to 2010. I just had enough. I just thought, I can't cope with this anymore. This is just, it's just burning me out. And then that's when I started, and Alex will laugh at this, That's when I started to look at other opportunities uh, around, you know, I started to think, right, now it's time to jump ship. It's time to sit, time to find something else rather than understand why this is, why this is happening. Let's just go and find another opportunity because this is just burning me out, which is we'll learn in this journey that that's one of my default positions, that if it gets too difficult, instead of me understanding why it's getting too difficult, I will look to, you know, run away almost and try and find an opportunity somewhere else. So I started doing that in 2010. And I think I managed to do another 18 months like that. And that's when I then uh, managed to get another opportunity outside of outside of the steel industry and I moved on. And this is already a very, uh, a very good part of part of reflection, Duncan, right? That you said, okay, there is probably something inside me, which is which is supporting this, right? And that probably becomes much more clearer as a, in the in the next step, um, where, yeah. where, where I met you. Um, but you, you joined this company actually earlier before I came on board I did. and it's an automotive company supplying to, um, you know, to the automotive world, um, metal products, 
Um, so again, manufacturing background um, um, and was a size of um, 120 people roughly uh, in, a, in, a, in Bristol, UK. This is where yeah. we met. Uh, yeah. And so Duncan joined first the company and then I came later. Um, but maybe, uh, yeah, maybe go there as a, as a next step. So, so how was it there and what was going on on that side? No, it was interesting because um, I thought, right, there's got to be, you know, like you just described, I was questioning that this whole ethos of, of burning yourself out to try and try and develop your leadership career. I thought this this is crazy. You know, um, I'm able to deliver results in this area, but surely there's got to be a better way of doing it. So I joined I joined that business then in I think it was beginning of 2013. So still, again, you know, I'm, I'm only I'm only sort of hitting early 30s now. Um, so still young, still early on in my career, really, um, as a leader. Yeah, it's very different. It's a very different environment to the steel industry when I when I joined. But nevertheless, there was a lot of similarities as well. Um, and when I say similarities, when I joined, I thought, here we go. This is quite similar. Very results driven. Bit of a directive approach as well still there. So still similar things going on, right? So it's like, then maybe this is the only way to do it because it seems to be happening in this environment as well. So yeah, quickly again, managing a team of people, but expected to deliver some results again. So I, I, I carried on. I carried on in, in that first year with the same behaviours that I'd already learnt um, in the previous um, sort of environment in the steel industry. So I carried on, you know, checking what team I had, what were they capable of. For the bits they weren't capable of, I would pick up the pieces for that. Yeah, and it, it was it, it worked in the, in the initial part because you get given a bit of space when you first join to do it. And there was also quite a bit of change, hence why Alex came into the fold. I think it was towards the end of that year. So I had a bit of a bit of time to sort of uh, work with what I had, but nevertheless, I was still on the same track. I was still directive with the team. I was still um, testing who could do what, and I would pick up the pieces if they couldn't do it. So I was still following the same path in that first year, and then Alex joined. That's true. That's true. And maybe maybe an introduction. Um, so so when I joined, I joined as an MD, and the 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 task for me was basically to to stabilize the company and also to a certain point to turn around the company from the results from uh, so from the on-time delivery from the quality results from but also from new business right and remember we were quite heavily depending on a specific product which gonna uh, was about to, to run out so um i was it was my first md position and i was running into it with i will call it in german blue eyes so very naively uh, i have to <laughs> say because uh, i thought it was in a better state than it was at the end in terms of results and and the culture and what was going on um, to give a bit of context, so this is how we met, and Duncan became a part of the of the management team I was leading. So maybe you can you can you can start then because you you can contrast it wonderfully. So from your perspective, because now it gets interesting, right? Because now you have been part of a transformation journey. How how we developed in terms of our leadership team, but also there was something going on inside in you in yourself. So as a development for yourself, and maybe maybe that is a little bit interesting to share what what actually you have you, you have experienced during that time. No, definitely, because I realized, and you asked it before as well, was I questioning what I was doing? Definitely, because I really like working with people, right? So that's that's something I really enjoy. So I didn't I didn't particularly enjoy telling people what to do. It wasn't really something I, I felt massively comfortable with, but I thought, okay, it's the only way really that I can do it to try and deliver some results. But nevertheless, it never sat right with me as a, as a person. And also working with other colleagues in a leadership team, um, constantly fighting each other, you know, jostling for position, that never really sat brilliant with, with, with me either. So then here comes Alex, he comes in, and this is exactly what's happening right now. So Alex is coming in, and we're all just kind of jostling for position, you know, trying to prove that, hey, Alex, I'm over here, and this is what I can do, and then somebody else is doing the same, and he's like, what's going on here? So we're all, this is, this is kind of what's happening. And then he comes in, and he goes, right, we're going to do something different now. And we all looked going, what is he talking about? And he takes us off site for like, <laughs> I think it was three days or something. And it was just bonkers, basically. Compared to what we were doing, it was just completely different. But it was good at the same time because it made you all stop, certainly made me think, about which direction we're heading in. Why are we fighting each other when we're supposed to be working as part of a leadership team? Um, why are we being so directive and, and burning ourselves out to try and deliver a set of results that in the end, we weren't delivering the results we needed anyway? So yeah, we, we, I remember. I think that was in the February, um, and I think you joined in the in the in December, and we spent three days off site, and that was a big moment for me because that was a moment where I took that opportunity to think, right, how can we act 
a as a leadership team but also how can i act as a leader and it was a bit it was a big moment for me because it was like right i i really like working with people and that the word empowerment you know came up time and again in my mind you know allowing people to fulfill their, what they're trying to achieve rather than just trying to tell them what to do all the time it's a big moment it did change my thinking um and it changed it started to change my whole outlook about how you should lead a team of people to get a set of results um but also how you should act as well in in the in the context of a leadership team and and, and being effective as a leadership team and so yeah it was it was a, it was a big deal really it was a big deal in my career at that point because i was I was only used to one sort of direction and one sort of way of, of working. Coming back, this was, I remember that, that was when Julian came on board, who helped us as a coach. And we have been in this offsite and Julian did a, a very interesting exercise with us. And from from your perspective, in terms of the team development, because we were, uh, I was, you know, I thinking at the time in the I, we, it, so a model like, so how can we work better as a team? How can we become stronger leaders? And what happened between between the management team there and why did it happen? What was Julian doing actually? What changed the level of, of relationship? I think there was an important point there. Definitely, because the biggest thing that um, you do in a work setting, and um, what I found subsequently, is you need to understand who you're working with, right? But not just, hi, hi, Diana, I can see you sat in Dusseldorf, I know you. Not just, hi, Alex, you're sat in Taunton, I can see, I know you, because I've just spoke to you for, like, what, I don't know, three months or something. No, understand the person, you know, what are they interested in? What background are they from? What's their style of working? What don't they like? What do they like? What do they appreciate about themselves? What do they appreciate about you? All of these things that we, we started to work on together in that workshop, very powerful things to do because then you really start to understand each other and appreciate each other more. And I think that's a big word, appreciation, because I think when you don't get to know people properly, you don't appreciate them at all. And it's very easy to treat them in a, in a disrespectful way, in a cal more calculating way. It's very, very easy to dismiss somebody uh, when you're working alongside them in a management team. And I've seen it happen again, time and again in, um, in this packaging business as well that you can quite easily just say, do you know what, I don't really care about this guy and I just dismiss his comments that he makes and I don't appreciate what he's saying because I don't know them. So it's very easy for me to do that. Whereas if you know somebody properly, and that was the point of that workshop, when you really get to know that person, then you you automatically have to appreciate them a bit more and appreciate what they're saying because it's very difficult to dismiss somebody when you really understand who they are. And I think that's a really important step when you're working as a, as a management team or a leadership team and as a leader as well. Um, when you get to know the people that work for you or the people that or they get to know who you are, it becomes a bit much easier then uh, when you're working together because then you, you, you respect each other a lot more and you understand each other a lot more. And I think that was very powerful, very, very powerful technique that Julian did. And I discovered a lot of my, things about myself that I didn't even understand. And that's another, th another thing that, um, you know, when, you, when you're trying to become a leader, If you don't really understand who you are or you don't understand where you've come from or where you're going or, or some of the things that's affected your journey up to that point, it becomes very, very difficult then to, to lead other people. You just said you, you have to appreciate them a little bit more <laughs> and that makes it more difficult to probably yeah, give, give uh, negative feedback or, or something like that. So it sounds to me a little bit like um, it's also about protecting oneself. So having this distance makes it easier to lead, to, to set people off uh, in the worst case. It's almost like when you have a friend, isn't it? So when you have a really good friend, you don't really want to dismiss them, do you? So when you're talking to your really good friend, if they're trying to make comments or, or make, trying to make some sort of uh, point of view to you, You don't really want to dismiss them, do you? Because it's you, you, you like that person or you have an understanding about that person. But on the other hand, sometimes a good friend needs to give criticism as well, right? And that's what we also learned how to do is that you can still be, you know, respectful to each other, understand each other and appreciate each other. But sometimes, and this is the other hard part we had to learn in that workshop, sometimes you have to give some critical feedback. But it's how you do that. Um, and I think that's also very important. Um, and that's what you would do as a good friend also, I think. Uh, but also in a leadership business context, you need to learn how to do that. So it's not just appreciation, but it's also, yes, appreciation their point of view. But if, if you want to be critical about it, how can you be critical about it without being disrespectful? And a lot of these things, once, once we got those, started to get those things right, made such a difference. And you become such a very strong unit that it becomes difficult to break it in the end, I think. You know, so if somebody somebody from outside is trying to, for, for whatever reason, you might feel like you're being attacked or for whatever reason being um, overly criticized. 
it's very difficult to do that when you've got a really powerful team because the whole team just says no go away you know you can't attack this team you know we're we're defending each other a little bit and that's in the end when you work in this way i think you can you can really achieve something like that that's really interesting and uh, really must have been three very powerful days so and and if it only takes three days to change no, no. that mind. <laughs> no, no, this, longer, is say. this is the beginning of the journey, right? So please, yeah. you know, not under any illusion that it took three days. I mean, the first three days was a wow factor shock. Um, and we started to really understand where we were going with this. But we had probably more questions coming out of that than we had for Alex when we went into it, <laughs> I think. So it was quite interesting because we had lots of questions coming out of it about, right, so... How can we do it? Can we work like this? Can we work like that? And then we had some follow-up sessions. And I remember we, we, we read some books together as well to understand how other teams have gone through this year. I would say this exactly, the, the famous book. Yeah. <laughs> There's one of our other colleagues that refused to read this book and then read the book in anger and realized what it was all about. So we had this as well. As an introduction, I, I asked them to read, or as a, on the journey, I asked them to read the, um, the five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah, from from Lencioni, you know, you know I, I choose a few models to to orientate ourselves. So, what are the a few principles we use for us? And that was one principle: the five dysfunctions of a team. And it's a wonderful story to read. It's really like a, it's not a tech textbook. It's a, written in a story of a of a person who needs to turn around a company, and you know, went through all these phases, and and then I discovered this model. And um, yeah, so uh, that was interesting when I said, "Can you read please this book?" That was <laughs> because you know what happened. So, so there's to go back to the point about the three days, it was definitely not three days. It was more like a 12 to 18 month journey, right? Before we became a, a massively tight unit. Um, because when we first read the book, we did the three days and it, it opened our eyes about, you know, the possibilities basically about how we could work differently. And then we all started to connect to the characters in the book. And we thought Alex was connecting those characters to us, right? It was so funny. And that lasted for about six months, right? Because we kept going to Alex saying, well, that must be me or that must be him or that must be her. And and he must be going to, that means this is going to happen to me or that's going to happen to you. And this lasted for six months trying to second guess which character Alex thought we were in that book and what our fate could possibly be <laughs> within the context of how he's going to change the team. It was so funny. So we became a little bit paranoid for for the first six months about what's he going to do with the team? Is he going to is he going to change it? Is it? Am I going to get fired? Am I going to end up like this person? Am I going to get promoted? Am I all of this right? Because we're still coming from we're still coming from the old environment, and that's why it's a transformation. So because we're still coming from the old environment where we think we're either going to get hired or, or or promoted or fired or whatever goes through your mind when you're competing with everybody else in the management team, we're still coming from that environment. So it's very difficult to change that straight away. So you, you take it's why, why I think it's a massive transformation when you're changing sort of the layout, the landscape of a team like that. So it, although we'd gone through the workshop and we, we thought, oh, it's great, there's new, new ways of working and read this book, we started to still in our old traits say, oh, well, this, this is what's going to happen next because we've read this book, because we're still in the old mindset. Um, and that lasted for at least six months um, before we did some follow-up sessions um, off-site again. But uh, gradually, gradually, it started to it started to get better, and we started to um, started to become more of a unit. Um, but yeah, I think it also helps as well that you can you always meet as a unit all the time. So we used to have monthly meetings where we met offsite as a unit, acted like a team constantly, just to to reinforce the work you do uh, that we did offsite. So I would definitely say it's it's a definite transformational journey that you go on when you when you decide to uh, to to work that way. It's not definitely not a two minute job. Um, and certainly wasn't for us at that time either. But then I suppose also reflecting as well um, at that time, for me personally as well, and some that we've alluded, I've alluded to some of those comments before, I still remember my personal journey was quite interesting because we came towards sort of the end of 2014. So this is the beginning of 2014 where, yeah, we're starting to learn how to work as a leadership team. But my leadership journey where I was questioning, this has got, you know, this surely is a better way. I'm still working in the directive approach. I'm still, you know, giving certain tasks to people, but not others to other people. I'm doing keeping some stuff for myself. I remember getting towards the end of 2014, and I went into Alex's office. I think it was October 2014, something like that. And he knew there's a problem. He knew there's a problem because he was asking me to deliver. You know, he's talking about the on-time delivery, which sat in my domain, and he was saying, you know, this needs to, you need to, this is this result isn't going up enough, right? We needed to improve. And I'm like, I cannot give you anything else. You know, I, and he, I could see, looking back, I could see what he was doing. 
And I, he's like, you need to improve the result. I said, I cannot improve it anymore, Alex. I don't know what you want me to do. I'm working, you know, so many hours. You know, I'm asking my team to do things. I'm trying to get these new people on board with new skills. I cannot do any more. And he's like, well, what are, you, what are we going to do then? What are we going to do? And then in that moment, I said, well, I, I can't do it. And then that was the moment. And he said, good. And he started writing on your board. And he said, right, are you trying to run away? Or what are you trying to achieve from this? You know, we've talked about what we've talked about in the workshops. What are we going to do? And it was a bit of a moment for me because I was like, right, yeah, I just can't continue working like this because it just burns me out. And that was a big moment going through that journey of the of the workshops, understanding that you can you can lead in a different way and lead people in a different way. It got to a point where it got to boiling point for me at the end of that year. And I just said, I can't I can't do it anymore. I can't deliver it or I can't deliver what you're asking for. But it was a good moment because it was like, right, now you're going to have to actually trust the team that you work with and you're going to have to work in a different way. Because if we need to deliver this set of results for the business, it can't always be on your shoulders. You can't deliver it yourself. It's got to come from the rest of the people. And that's the point that I that that year was a very important year for me in, in my leadership journey. So a nice strategy, Alex, to overload mm -hmm. your people so that they learn I can't yeah. deliver it anymore. Yeah, actually, actually, it was a little bit like that. I have this, I have this, I have still have this drawing in my head to push some, some, not some characters, not all, to the edge of this wine glass. You need to have this tipping point, because Duncan, honestly. I mean, you, you can say it really honestly, how often we have talked about this, this is not the leadership style which can work, right? How often before that point? So many times, every month, every and, month he's telling me. And I was, and I kept going, yeah, no, I understand, Alex. And I, I heard what he was saying. And I'm like, I, it makes sense in my brain, but I wasn't doing it. Because all, all up to that point, so bearing in mind from 2008 to 2014, I'd only known one way of becoming successful. I didn't know... I'd never really tried of being successful a different way. What he was saying made perfect sense to me and it sounded great, but I didn't believe you, did I? And I refused to believe you in my action. You could probably see that. And every month I sat in his office and said, yeah, Alex, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I'm going to try. Yeah, I'm going to do it a different way. Another month would pass. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, Alex. And then he got to that point at the end of 2014 and he's like, no, this isn't happening anymore. And I was like, I can't cope. This is not happening. I can't cope anymore. I can't do it. But that was the moment. That was the moment that I needed. I knew I needed to, to to try it. I needed to change. I needed to start trusting my team more. If I wanted to, to get that result, it had to come from the the the, uh, the empowerment of the team and not just from me. The wine glass um, um, analogy is probably a perfect analogy. I did not believe it until I tipped out the wine glass, and then I believed it. Mm -hmm. What were your fears, or what hindered you to to trust? in your team or was it a mistrusting yourself or do you want to share something of that yeah the fear the fear the fear of failure is a massive problem right it's a huge problem and i suppose you can also talk about my personal journey to that point and alex knows a lot about this too um but the point is um i was scared to fail so all the way through you know my my, my personal life and, and my education i was taught it was not acceptable to fail failing was not an option right so that's what I believed, um, because that's what I that's what I I grew up with, and that's what I knew. So I learned how to be successful um, a certain way. So the fear of not being successful, or the fear of failing at that point, was so strong. I was not willing to to risk it, basically. Even though Alex was offering something that seemed far more sensible, <laughs> to be honest, than, than than what I was actually doing my, my, myself, I was holding it back because of that desire and that learned behavior of no, no, don't don't risk it because you've already got to this point and you've been fairly successful. Don't risk it because you, failing is not an option. So that was the problem. I was and in that, conflict with myself. And 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 I, I just have to think about it, but that makes the pressure even bigger because you took over the task of your team not to fail because probably you, you saw they can't do it or they can't deliver it in the in the right quality or, or I don't know, in the I think right became, time. You know what? I think it became worse than that, to be honest. I think it became worse than that in, in the end. But I think it became – I thought I was protecting them as well. So I thought – that if I took on all the responsibility, my, uh, a lot of the responsibility myself to deliver the results, I was protecting them from getting any sort of repercussions of any of any um, any sort of pressure, if you like. So it became even worse than that. And, and not only taking on all the tasks of your team and also having this high level of yeah perfectionism probably so you you also wanted to deliver it in a very good way that makes the pressure even even a lot higher right 
yeah. and working a lot I, of hours and being emotionally, uh, physically overwhelmed. That's that's really very yeah, tough. Yeah, exactly. At that moment, I was causing myself a lot of problems personally, a lot of problems from the pressure I was putting on myself and and on the, the results that we needed to achieve. It was it was becoming too much, um, and I think Alex spotted that. That was a good part about that. I think you spotted it. You knew it was happening. You could see every time we met, you could see that was going on. Um, but even though you were trying to steer me away from it, until it until it actually came crashing down, I didn't I didn't I didn't trust it basically. Mm. So Big I don't step. fully recommend getting to the point where you where you you know you come crashing down. It's not amazingly uh, good experience. On the other hand, it it really is important to understand when you're working in a certain way that that causes that, that amount of pressure. It's, it's very very important to understand what it is that's driving that from yourself. Mm. So important because it's coming from you. You think at the time it's coming from others, but it's not. It comes from yourself because Alex wasn't putting any more pressure on me as the MD of the business. He was just explaining what he wanted, but he wasn't putting any undue pressure on me. I was putting it on myself. And it was com most of it was coming from me. And at that moment, it's very important to, try to understand what is driving that from, from within yourself. Does it come from, from something you've experienced before? Does it come from something you've experienced most of your life? What is it that's driving that behavior? And that was a very important lesson for me. And when do you have time in your work time to think of something like that? Right, so I've I've never experienced something like that to to having, I don't know, meetings, workshops where it's just the goal to reflect your own personality, your own leadership style. That should be part of of the job as a good leader, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And I think that's 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 true. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. But. I think in fairness to Alex, that's what he spotted, you know, like he said, he was very eager when he came into the business as the new managing director. And you spotted straight away that that was critical to, uh, to, to, to us being successful. That unless we had made time and you kept you made a big um, sort of statement about that regularly to us that we need to make time for these things, because if we don't, we can't be successful. That was that was our mantra. If we don't make time for ourselves and make time for the development of the leadership team. We cannot drive this business forward. And I think that's quite a very, it's a very interesting, and I still stand by that. I think that's a very good philosophy when you're trying to build a successful business, that you need to make time to build a successful leadership team. Otherwise, you can't drive that business forward in the, in, in the right way. And I can, I can remember this. I can remember our struggles, Duncan, mm. because we had so much to do. Firefight, remember? We had so much yeah. things yeah, yeah. going on. Yeah. Everybody, because, you know, I think Duncan worked 12 hours or more. <laughs> And yeah. not Duncan, everybody of the management team was heads down and really working, working, working like crazy. And then I come around and say, okay, you know, guys, we go two days every month or one day every month or two days every month or every quarter, three days. We go out and just take time to talk about us as a team and how we're going to work together. They say, are you completely bonkers? We had heavy conversations about that. And I'm pretty sure behind my back, that was not always fun. They talked about this guy's, I have no time and now I need to sit down uh, two, two days outside. We, and I remember in, in in the January when you first joined, we thought you were, we thought you were a lunatic. We just thought this guy has the, this guy hasn't got a clue what he's doing. You know, he's coming in. He, he says all of a sudden he's going to try and take us out for a couple of days. Can he not see all of the things that we're trying to deal with? We've barely got enough time to talk to each other, let alone go off and you know play around for two or three days as we saw it back then, right? So we were very critical, very critical. And that was and that was a diff that was difficult because you kept kept on and you didn't give up but it was we challenged you heavily on that we we said no Alex we're not doing it and you said yes we are doing it. no we're not doing it. <laughs> this is crazy so that was very difficult but um, in in hindsight I think it's very important and uh, uh, you know for the for the next few years we we really made time for that and we under and, you know it became even more important to us that we we, we carried on. Uh, making time for those things um but you're right in the beginning when you're overloaded or as you see it you're overloaded with the way you're working yeah stepping back is 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 it's a big it's a big challenge to be able to do that and and duncan what changed after this critical moment this personal pivot point so um so that was your, your personal development <laughs> it was story. interesting right? what changed two, two or three two or three things changed for me after that so I started to to, uh, to lead my team in a completely different way. Um, I started to empower them. I started to um, um, you know give them the space to to deliver the results instead, and that and that was good. And then Alex decided it was really interesting because then I said we had a few more discussions, and he said, "Oh, have you ever thought about doing something different?" And this was quite important for me. 
And I said, what do you mean doing something different? He said, well, have you ever thought about leading a completely different team that you know nothing about, right? I thought, no, that would be absolutely crazy. But I understood at that time that was an important step for me because that made me then concentrate on leadership rather than on um, delivering the results from what I know because I didn't know anything about it. Um, so it, we we agreed, and I said, "Yeah." I, I reluctantly, I agreed. I said, "Go on, then. I will. I will lead a team I know nothing about." That was a big step for me. That was in the, the year after, um, so about six months later. Um, and he and he said, "Right, you're going to manage the tool room, um, tool design, and the whole tooling team." Basically, I'm like, "Are you nuts?" I said, "What well, I know." <laughs> I know nothing about engineering, let alone anything about tooling. He said, no, this is perfect for you. This will be absolutely perfect. You, you, you trust me, you will, you, will, you, will, you will do a good job. I'm like, okay. Um, and that was very good because then he could see that I was buying into the philosophy of, 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 of leading in a different way. But I had no choice then because then I had a team of people that I had, I had to rely on them. I had to rely on them. I had to rely on the guys that I had around me. And I had to identify people that I could empower more um who, you know who was my talent in my team so it just became about me developing those people and that was so I, I loved it I enjoyed it so much like what did I have where was my weakness and you you just mentioned it before as well what did what did what did I do when I had people that um weren't performing or were disruptive I very much had someone like that in my team which was a massive challenge for me and I had to think about how I was going to deal with that you know was I going to allow that person to completely contaminate the rest of the team, for example. Um, who was my stars in that team? And I had to identify who they were and I had to you know, rely on them a lot more because I have no idea about tooling. And that was really interesting because you remember we had a few people that I managed to push forward and, and then I've had another guy who was completely trashing the team at that time in terms of our development. And so I had to deal with him and I had to try and say, right, enough. You know, this person can't can't stay with us if he's going to completely destroy the team. So, yeah, it really became an interesting next step in my journey personally about managing a, a team of engineers that I had to completely rely on. Basically, I could not deliver anything myself anymore. And it was it was good. It was really rewarding for me. I would argue I got better results from that, much better results. The team designed a, new, a brand new tool room for the business, and we delivered um, getting some new machines in that tool room, new techniques. We, we delivered new ways of designing tools, but I didn't do any of it. I just basically led that team to, to, this, to this different journey. It was, it was very interesting. And, and how has your perspective on failure changed? Because you said beforehand you were just afraid of, of uh, failures, and then... Yeah, now, now it was easier for you to trust the people because you just had no other chance. You, you didn't yeah. know what they do. <laughs> um, but how, how, how has your perspective on failure changed then? It was interesting because what I was fearing didn't exist because in the end, um, I was failing anyway, right? So even though I thought I wasn't failing in the way I was managing in my directive leadership style and you know, I was trying to, to keep some stuff for myself, I wasn't getting the result I wanted because the business needed more, but I wasn't able to deliver it by myself. So ironically, even though in my own brain, I thought I was avoiding failing, I was failing, but I just didn't recognize it as a failure. I thought it was an acceptable way of working, but it wasn't, it wasn't being successful that the business needed in that sense. But I didn't see it as a failure, but it was. But then as soon as you start empowering the team with people more, like I was doing with the tooling engineers, the results were, were 100% better. So what I actually feared um, was already happening, even though I hadn't seen it that way, basically. So you would say, with hindsight, you, you limited the, the options of, of your former teams by doing yeah. everything on your own? And you limit, you limit about what you're able to, uh, to, to get as a result in the end as well. But you don't see it that way. You think, well, that's the maximum. So when you're when you're doing it that way, you think, well, that's the maximum that can be achieved. Nobody can do better than that, right? So I haven't failed. Yeah, but when you when you're on reflection, you are failing because you're limiting the possibilities. Um, and that's and that's a big it's a big it's a big statement to make, but it's a big thing to think about as well, because what is possible if you do it a different way? I, I, it's just I, what's I, in your head. Yeah. yeah. It's just what, what's in your head, what's possible, but you, you just don't know what the others are capable of if you don't let them do that. And also what you're, able, what you're capable of as a, as a team, because um, you don't see the possibilities when you work in that way. So when you work in the directive kind of 
closed thinking kind of ways of working you think that once you get to a certain point that's the maximum that can be achieved from that setting and that team so therefore once I've achieved the maximum I'm not failing anymore I've, I've delivered what's what's absolutely possible is how you see it in your mind by actually doing it in that style and that way you're limiting the possibilities of what can be done now I didn't fully understand that or understand um, that's complete philosophy until I managed a team of people that I knew nothing about because they really showed me what was possible when I basically concentrated on leading the team and they concentrated on, on delivering what they were good at or in some cases where some people were not very good how I dealt with that person to, to stop holding the team back that was my job as the leader so and you already said they they um came up with some new innovative ideas and so what else changed so how how did the performance changed of their team you just get you just get more ideas being generated as well so i remember I, i held some sessions with those with those tooling engineers and we had some you know i was now starting to <coughs> have team meetings in the same way that we were having meetings as a management team but i was doing it with my team um, and so we started to have those kind of same um, settings where, you know, we talk openly with each other. Uh, we'd, we'd allow ourselves to have some space. So, so instead of having a meeting that would only last, for, say, 30 minutes, a very functional meeting that you would normally do, and then you'd move on to the next task, which is the way, we, way I used to work. Right. Let's meet 30 minutes. Right. What are you doing? You're doing this. You're doing that. Right. Fine. Good. Carry on. Very good. Very, very transactional. Right. Instead of doing that, I'd have, a, you know, half a day. We'd just meet. Uh, and just talk and discuss about what's been happening, what what we're doing, the development of the tool room. And they would just come up with some, you give them space, they were coming up with all kinds of ideas. What about if we try this? I'm like, okay, sounds great. And they'd look at you and say, why is he not objecting? I have no idea if it's a good idea. Let's put it on the board. Sounds great. So all these ideas would just keep coming out because they look at you because they, they're normally used to someone's, you know, managing them that knows their subject, if you like. And they're almost looking at you and say, Are you sure you are? Am I allowed to say this? Sounds good to me. I have no idea. Put it on the board. So then it's just flowing. You know, all these ideas are coming flooding out. And nothing's off limits, if you like, because the guy that sat there, the leader sat there going, literally, I have no idea if it's good or bad. Put it on the board. Sounds great. Let's let's have a look at it. Let's just explore the idea, an, an, an opportunity. And that's, you know, The benefit. And that, is, and that is the duck, and that is this is something I just want to you know share that when you 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 share this so wonderfully, because you know we have this mindset, um, the wonderful mindset going into a team and a conversation of not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is, and it's a problem if you are the sub the subject matter expert, if you're an expert in in logistics and you talk with the logistics team, not knowing is really hard. It is because you know, right, and you think you know. But exactly. if you lead a team, but if you lead a team where you really don't know, you really not know. It is it is much easier to make that bridge, to make that leap. Basically. And that's one and that's one thing I would say. Um, even though I'm back in sort of my, my my discipline that I know at the moment, I would welcome the opportunity to manage a team again where I know nothing about the subject, because it's so rewarding, just to look at them in the eyes and they look at you back and they say, right, guys, we're here to discuss what we're going to do next great have you got any ideas yeah yeah i've got tons of ideas okay off you got and they go and they look at you and say okay great why didn't they say you're not objecting i have no idea it, it is so rewarding and refreshing to approach it in that way and alex is right i still try and do it now but because i'm back in my subject matter it is so difficult because i'm they're looking at me and you, you're almost trying not to look just like you're almost trying not to give that silly little oh are you sure and it It's almost impossible because you sometimes your body language gives it away. You're like, <laughs> you're like, this sounds, you know, it's a bit of a crazy idea. But if you don't know, in the context of me as a, uh, sitting there with tooling engineers, you can't. Your body language just goes, okay, great, <laughs> let's, let's try it. Yeah. So I, I think I would, I would definitely and welcome the opportunity again to to try this again, where I'm working. I get to lead a, a set of people that. It's not my subject because um, you really get so much out of them. You really do. 
And, and Duncan, was it difficult for you to gain their respect because you, you were still in an environment where typically leaders are the experts of, of uh, yeah, the, the, the topic at hand? Was it difficult in the beginning or was it yeah. comfortable for you? Or was it? No, it was very uncomfortable for me. It was, it was very difficult. You're right. In the beginning, I had, I had two or three challenges, right? So I had challenges coming from... I took the team over from a from a from a guy that was an engineer. So this was a, this was a challenge in itself because he was challenging me to say, okay, you're doing this, that's fine. I respect you because you're in the management team and we're, we're quite close now, but you really don't have a clue what you're doing. So if you need if you really just w want to know what's happening, just come and talk to me. So I had no respect from this guy <laughs> from day one. It's like if you really struggle, just come and talk to me, talk it through with me. I've been managing this team for the last five years. Don't worry about it. Don't worry what Alex is saying. If you struggle, I'll tell you what you need to do. And I thought, great. Okay. Real confidence booster there. <laughs> then there's that, so that's one challenge. The second challenge was like you say, then there's the team themselves. I've already got a very difficult person sat in the tool room who respects the previous manager way more than me. And he's causing chaos for the rest of the team. There was, there was, this was difficult. So I'm stood in front of this guy saying, hey, I'm the leader now. So we'll, I respect what you're doing and we'll try and work together. Boom, nothing back. No, I'm not working with you. You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> very, very difficult. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I've got this, this, these two situations going on. And then another situation is I have some younger people in the team, very, very bright guys, actually willing to look at me and go, what, what would you like to know? What would you want to, you know, what, what do you want to know about what I'm doing? Very open about discussing. So I had very, very different problems going on. Was it comfortable? Definitely not in the beginning. So I had to really find my way about, okay, how am I going to manage this? How am I going to manage my colleague in the management team who's feeling a little bit like he doesn't know what he's doing, come and talk to me anytime you want? How am I going to deal with this guy that's in the tour room who has no respect for me whatsoever because he's seeing this young guy come in, leading a team, nothing about, he knows nothing about it. He's causing chaos anyway, so he can just go away. And then how am I going to deal with the stars of the team? What I perceived as with the younger guys going, hey, I'll talk to you. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you what it's all about. Is almost the way they wanted to treat me in the beginning. <laughs> They're very, very different. Very different. Not comfortable, though. <laughs> I see. Yeah, that was, that I, was, see. I would say that was the first two but or three months they, like that. And then they perceived you leading in a different way, in a great way. And they saw first results. And then it changed, I guess. Or um i'd say it definitely changed um for the um the people that were already willing to accept me into the team um they could see that, that they thought this was a great you know a great opportunity for them um in particular for tom i keep referencing this guy and alex knows him very well you know for him he he saw that opportunity and he ran with it you know he was very close to me in the beginning and and it was very very rewarding for both of us um in that team and also some other talented design engineers that we had as well they were very happy about um sort of working with me and explaining to me how how things worked but for the other guy in the tool room no <clears throat> we had to find our way and unfortunately the way that we found and that you know we had some very difficult conversations and um he was really really uh, polluting the rest of the team making it awkward for some of the younger guys working in that team and you know that was my first one of my first big tests that i realized i had to do the ugly part of it so I thought, you know what, for the sake of the direction of where this team is going, I'm going to have to manage this person. And I'm not going to be allowed just to cover for this guy. This guy is completely trashing the team. He's got no respect for me, which is fine. But, you know, if we're going to take this team forward, I need to manage this guy. And that's what I, that's what I had to do in the end for the sake of that team. And in the end, the other guys that were working around him were relieved that somebody was actually managing this guy. So I realized in that moment it was the right thing to do because they were really scared of this guy. Um, and as soon as I started to, to manage him, they were relieved. So it re I realized that for the benefit of this team, if I can manage this person properly, uh, this team is going to thrive. And that's what that's what we managed to achieve in the end. And this is and this was a wonderful see uh, <coughs> see from the outside, um, not not specifically about managing this person, but what happened to the tool room. You need to imagine this tool room was. It, it looked like an oily garage with crap <laughs> pieces of metal in there. It looked horrible. Uh, honestly, it, it, it was not even worse to call it the tool room. No. But what, what it turned 
into with a team together, it was a really proper tool room. You could you can sell tools from to the outside, and 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 coming all the ideas came from the team, and that was that, that was really nice to see at the end. It was. I mean that that day that I was able to present the tool room to the rest of the business. And I remember presenting it to you and I presented it to um, sort of the, the, the GM of the whole bearings business um, and, and also um, of, of other people. I was just so proud that they could come around and see what, we, what we'd achieved in the end, because it was like, look, this is I have no idea about what I'm doing with this subject, but this is what's possible um, when we when we work together as a, as a unit. And it was it was a very rewarding situation, actually. Yeah, to see that, like Alex says, we, we were able to deliver and make tools in the end that, yeah, you could probably be proud to, to sell to the outside outside world. And that was it was a big job. It was good. I have a, I have a question, Duncan. You know, you, you said about you learned one way before in terms of leadership style, very directive, very telling, very, you know, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Um, you know, coming back a little bit to skills and 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 abilities and training and um, methods, right? From a directive to style to a coaching or facilitative style, how much was it a kind of a skill development for you? And and can it be learned? Can it be trained? Or is it something uh, people have it or not? Or you know, how I was think it for you? I think one of one of the things that's important to me is you have to like people. <laughs> I think that's very important. If you want to be a leader, a good starting point for this. Uh, method if you like in this and this skill is like people <laughs> if you like people and you like working with people I think you can you can then start to work with this skill and then you can use and find your own style then just remember that in the back of your mind that these these are people and and they like and they, they have certain certain needs and, and certain wants everybody wants something from life everybody wants to achieve a certain goal or or, or something drives them right so it's just about you finding about what that is and then when you're talking about a coaching style or a skill, it's about respecting that they are people with desires and needs exactly the same as you, but it's about trying to find what that is. And you can use your own style. You know, it doesn't have to be the same for everybody. So I have my way of doing it, which will be different to the way that you do it. But if that's just a style and you need to find your own style and be comfortable with it. And once you find that, I think, yeah, definitely you can learn it. Absolutely, you can learn it. So the mindset is the most important part. If you don't have a people mindset, it's probably hard to... Exactly. You, know, you can learn. You can learn techniques, but uh... absolutely. And this would be my advice to anybody, right? Leadership's not for everybody. Everybody perceives that the way you need to get on in your career is you've got to then aim for a leadership job. Definitely not, right? That is a big mistake, because I have people working for me now, in the same way that I've just referenced the people that were working for me in this tooling engineering team. You can find a very rewarding career and progress and get promoted, not necessarily as a leader, but as an expert, as a tooling engineer, as a design engineer, or whatever it may be that you that you want to do. So this whole concept of I must become a leader so that I can be successful, it's not for everybody, right? It really isn't. If you don't really like dealing with people, and I have some friends that don't like dealing with people, right? Don't become a leader <laughs> because it's not for you. But it's still a very difficult thing, right? So I, I worked for, for some companies who tried to establish some kind of expert career. But as long as you have this hierarchy and this head off, this single person on top of the box, it's yeah. still much more uh, attractive than yeah being in an, in an expert career or something like that. So, yeah, I think maybe also the systems needs to change Absolutely. <clears throat> I don't disagree with that. And don't get me wrong. Obviously, I'm working in this packaging business now and they're going through a transformational journey in the same way. But they're behind, I'd say, where we were in my last business that was supplying automotive parts. Absolutely. It's 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 a difficult thing because, like you say, some of the structures of um, the way businesses are designed, it almost promotes that in order for you to be successful, you need to be, like you're saying, the head of something or director of something or, or whatever it may be. But behind those titles, and that's what I had to learn that we've talked about so far in that journey, is leadership. That's what it is. You know, it's not it's not just you being, you know, head of something because you're a, a, an expert. Might be that that's the way that you got the position. But behind the title is a leadership job. And that always gets a little bit missed for me. And that's what I've learned along my journey so far. And I missed it in the beginning that I got into that position because I was an expert. I didn't get into that position because I liked people and I was good at leading them. And I think that's the bold step 
that business uh, leaders and teams need to be taking um, if we want to if we want to get better leaders leading our, our teams and our businesses uh, then we need to think about treating leadership as important as we do engineering or or whatever else it may be that we that we treat as, as, as vitally important for a business finance for example yeah that's interesting that you say that as i found this that from my background from my career background especially engineering uh, again so my background is engineering and production and manufacturing you feel like the main focus the 80 percent you need to know is your subject you're an engineer you are your process engineer or you are a maintenance person or whatever that is or logistics and you yeah. know this 10 or 20 percent leadership yeah you're going to manage you know that is <laughs> You know, this is kind of little add-on. It's actually not. It's actually the full opposite side around from yeah. so what I've seen and experienced. And um, this is not so much recognized. And um, it's getting more and more. I think um, companies understanding it slowly and getting there. Uh, but definitely looking backwards, and some other companies today still have that that mindset. It is, and it's it's, it's a big it's a big journey. But I think it's definitely worth promoting it, um, and I think it's definitely worth challenging it because. When you do see the difference, the results are a step change. It's not something you can even attempt to do in, in the 80-20 rule that you just described as being an expert and a leader. It's a massive, massive difference when you, when you, when you do it um, the way we've been, been describing as, as, a, as focused on leadership so much uh, in empowering your teams. So it, it is a difference. Thank you very much, Duncan. I think this is really a wonderful story. And thank you for sharing all these personal insights and talking about your personal fears. And I think it must have been a rough time for you. And I think it's also very special. And uh, I really love listening to both of you because you were close together at that special time, that pivot point of yours. Uh, so yeah, it was really really nice for me listening to, to both sides in, in this episode. Thank you very much. So typically, um, at the end of, of uh, an episode, we do some yeah, wrap up. Um, probably, yeah, both of you are involved in this story. So <laughs> I'm wondering um, whether you also have some new aha moments while reflecting uh, on those years. Shall we, shall we share yeah, some insights? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I've got a couple that come to my mind when I've even been speaking today. I think... You know, I know it's my own story and I think I know the story so well, but one of the things I've just been describing, right, that I've just, that again, this made me think again about what it is that I'm doing now compared to what I've, I've done in this journey that we've described today. It's really important to remember the things that are, that are so successful in leadership. And I've just remembered that the most successful that I've been so far in my leadership journey is when I've managed an area I know nothing about, you know, and I keep forgetting that that's the most successful that I've been. Even though I've gone back to my subject matter, my comfort zone, if you like, my little comfort blanket uh, in logistics, the most successful I've been so far is when I've managed a team that I know th nothing about. And that is a big aha moment for me again and something that I'll reflect on again, I think, after discussing this today. That's beautiful. Thank you. For me, um, it's, it was interesting um, to hear the story because we never talked about this this way before. So that was really new for me to to see this reflection also with this distance a little bit because it was it's quite, was quite a while ago now. And I think for for what I take away is that to really see that there's a lot going on inside the people in your team, um, in, in this case in you, Duncan, which I had no idea about how much emotional and how much stress and how much um, maelstrom and personal challenges and hardships that were involved and often we don't see this because we have this you know this kind of wonderful i'm professional you know i don't see what i show i don't show vulnerability etc so by even so even with the with a good good attention at heart to lead a team through this journey and come out to the other side you know in a better way it, it does things with people It, it pushes people out of comfort zones with, with all the good reasons, right? It's not saying it's wrong. It's just saying, but still, there's a lot going on inside you don't see um, because it's not opened. So I think that is a learning for me to say, um, appreciate that there's you know, a lot of happening emotionally and, and it's not easy um, to, 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 to step out of this comfort zone. Um, even if you feel it, because you've done it already a lot of times, that it's easy for you, it doesn't mean it's easy for others who go through this journey. So, and sometimes, you know, I can forget that because I, for me, it's a kind of a normal thing and I want to do it and I'm, you know, doing it. Uh, okay, let's let's do this uh, high and lows in life. Okay. But in this moment when you've never done it before, it, it, it can start a lot inside you and that I need to respect. Um, and also taking what you said is 
stop thinking you need a subject matter expert to be a good leader. Definitely. And, um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's also, again, a, rem a reminder for me in my current role. You proved it with me by putting me in that position and together we proved you don't need to be a subject matter expert if you're a good leader. That just reminds me of, of this yeah, powerful sentence of I don't know, right? <laughs> so if, if you admit as a leader that you know nothing about it, there's so much possible and uh, so many ideas come up and yeah, I think this is uh, this is really very wonderful and I, I really liked listening to what happened on on the inner side of yours so really this this fear of failure I heard lots of other stories that are quite similar so of course you are promoted because you're doing a good job and then you have to lead and it's a little bit more on top of everything else but um, it is it is a noble motive saying, well, I, I want to protect them. I don't want uh, that they get much more pressure. So I do it. So I, I sacrifice myself for the team. So from yeah. from your personal point of view, it was it was a, a noble motive, so to say. But it wasn't helpful for 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 you because you were close to burnout. It wasn't helpful for the team because they couldn't develop themselves. And uh, the the company, as you just said, um, you were limiting the success of the team, right? But that is really interesting. What happened on this? Yeah, a psychological part of it, and um, really overcoming this and seeing all these great benefits. Uh, so obviously, a personal. You, you are also much more relieved now. So, uh, yeah, there are so many benefits in literally a very small step, so to say. So recommendation to all the leaders outside there, take over a team you know nothing about. Um, Do it. Then... <laughs> Do it. Take, take a step. Trust me. It sounds bonkers, but it worked. <clears throat> you were the, the example who proved it right. <laughs> yeah. It did work. Cool. That's such a great story. Thank you very much, Duncan. Yeah. So good luck to you, to your Thank you very much. Uh, Thank to you. your future leadership challenges. Great that yeah. we had the opportunity to listen to your story. And As well from my side, Duncan. Thank you very much. It was really really an honor and wonderful having you here. Okay. So bye bye and uh, hope to talk to you soon in any other context. That would be lovely. Bye bye. Diana. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Alex. 